Welcome. This is Raul Lowry Contreras. This is the Contreras Report, Business Mexico. First, let's do a little business and politics. In Baja, California, the state right next to California, their next door neighbor, is uh, going through a celebration today because the Mexican Supreme Court made a political ruling which affects the state and it affects the whole country. It's a very important decision. Here's what happened. An American citizen named Jaime Bonilla was elected governor of California in July of uh, last year, 2019. First, he was an American citizen. Second, he was an elected Republican office holder in San Diego County as a director of a water district. Third, he claimed many times to me personally, because I know him, that Tijuana political leaders had a contract out on him to kill him. And that's why he left Tijuana and came to San Diego. Well, I don't know whether that's true or not. That's what he told me. So in July of last year, he was elected governor of the state of Baja, California. In October, he and his party sponsored a plebiscite to extend the governorship, the, the governor's term, from two years to five years. Now, before, it had been six-year terms, but to uh, uh, supplement or to, to be at the same time that off-presidential elections were held throughout Mexico, they changed this particular term to two years so that then the next election would jive with the national off-presidential year elections. Okay, so the plebiscite, uh, was he supported that, and that would have extended his governorship from two years to five years. Well, he claimed that's what happened when uh, the people uh, voted for the uh, five-year term. So the opposition parties, uh, the PRI and the PAN, the Partido Revolucionario Institucional, the PRI, and the, uh, the Partido Acción Nacional, PAN, which had held the governorship for 30 years, and uh, they went to court. And they brought up the lawsuit, and the Mexican Supreme Court, this very day that I'm recording this, ruled that it was a grand fraud because uh, to try and extend the term to five years because they elected Bonilla for a two-year term in July. But the five-year term was on the ba special ballot and a special election in October. Grand fraud. Supreme Court ruled, and uh, that's it. It's over. And there will be no five-year Governor Bonilla term. And he can't run for re-election. That's against the law. Okay. So <laughs> that was very, very interesting. And uh, it affects all things, including business, because just the other day, just the other day, Bonilla succumbed to requests from Mexico City that got requests from the Trump administration to please open critical border factories that make things for the supply chains, the American supply chains for automobile manufacture and for national defense. So that's how come I say politics and business shall mix in this particular case. Now, we're going to change the subject to uh, another public works project in Mexico that the president, Manuel Andres Lopez Obrador, sponsored that uh, uh, when he got elected to the presidency and took over in December of last year. And what he wanted to do, what he wants to do, is build 
a 1,500-kilometer train that starts in Yucatan and goes through five, four other states, and it's a built, designed to haul tourists around through areas outside of Yucatan and the Mexican Riviera. Uh, there are very few tourists that get into uh, the Indian towns, the Indian cities, the Indian towns. And so his idea was to build this 1,500-kilometer train, modern train, that would run back and forth and carry uh, tourists and uh, therefore help the entire economy of southeast Mexico. So what happens? Well, the very people who would benefit, the local Indian tribes, they're Maya Indians, uh, they uh, went to court and they got an injunction to stop work, not in the whole state and not in any of the other states, uh, but in, in three particular little towns. Uh, where these particular Indians live. And they got a local court there in the state of Chiapas. I'll talk about Chiapas in a minute. They got a local court to issue an injunction to stop construction. Well, there is no construction. And the two, there are three segments to the train, to the 1,500-kilometer railway. And two contracts have been let, uh, the first and the second. The third contract will be let on uh, May 14th. So construction hasn't started yet uh, in any meaningful way, especially not in this particular area. The train is supposed to cost $8.8 billion to construct. Like I said, there are three different contracts. And uh, the injunction was issued in the state of Chihuahua, which is almost 100% Indian. There was another injunction uh, issued in the state of Campeche, which is another state down there in that area, also an Indian state. Now remember... 30% of the people of Mexico are 100% Indian. Half of all the Amerindian people in the Western Hemisphere, from Alaska to Tierra del Fuego, North America and South America, half of all the Indians in the Western Hemisphere are in Mexico. So they have some sway. Now, they happen to live, it's sort of like our American South. Which is the poorest part of America? The American South. Which is the least educated? The American South. Which is the least economically viable? The the American South. The same is true in Mexico. The Mexican South is the poorest part of the country. It is the least progressive part of the country. And it is the part of the country where most of the people that live there are American Indians or Mexican Indians, whichever you want to say. So, when uh, President uh, Lopez Obrador became president, first thing he did was he sponsored a plebiscite in these five states that he personally uh, sponsored before he became president and asked them if they would like, uh, if the people of those five states would like to have this 1,500-kilometer train run through their state to bring tourists and tourist money. And, of course, they voted yes. Of course, it was a tiny, tiny uh, number of people that voted. Uh, and, and although 92% of those that voted voted in favor, it was a tiny little number, maybe 2 3 4%, I don't recall offhand which. Uh, but it was not very many. And uh, a lot of the locals didn't like the plebiscite and complained about it. And the United Nations even issued a ruling that the election did not meet international standards. 
So what they have, though, I think, is in, the Indians, they got this temporary injunction. There'll be a final, uh, there'll be another hearing soon. But in the final analysis, it won't make any difference. If Mexico City wants it, they'll figure out a way to build it. And the Indians may have won a court, a court decision. But like the Greeks used to call it, it's a pyrrhic victory. They win, but they lose because the train will be built. The reasons the Indians were able to get an injunction is they claim construction during the coronavirus pandemic would violate their constitutional right to health protection because it could increase risk of being exposed to COVID-19 or the coronavirus. That's a pretty far out legal theory. But the judges in Mexico have been known to profit handsomely with cash contributions to their wallets. So I suspect that's what happened here. They also claim, the Indians also claim, that uh, they would be uh, prevented from protesting against the construction of the 1,500-kilometer-long train because they wouldn't be able to gather up in crowds because the government has prohibited crowds. They've even banned going to the beach for more than two people. So if you had a 500 Indians show up for a demonstration against the train, it would be an illegal demonstration and the government would break it up. So the legal theories that they used and they won with are really pretty sketchy. Really pretty sketchy. And I don't know if uh, they're going to get any further. Now, what I told you about Chiapas, I said I would mention Chiapas again. In 1994, you may remember that the Maya Indians of Chiapas openly revolted against the Mexican government with guns. There was shooting. There was killing. They went into open rebellion, and they were led by a guy who called himself Subcomandante Marcos. Subcomandante Marcos. He was a Mexican from the city of Tampico, who, though he wore a, a ski mask, to, to keep from being identified and claimed to be a man of the people, a pure communist, and they were two communal Indians. Um, he was trained by the Nicaraguan uh, Sandinista communists, and he went up to Chiapas and he convinced a number of Indians to revolt, and they did. And, and I find that quite interesting because, number one, he wasn't an Indian. Number two, he was a green-eyed white Mexican from the city of Tampico, and his father is a wealthy furniture store owner, some real man of the people. The Indian revolt lasted a few days and had no popular support. And I can tell you that here in northern Mexico, uh, I happened to, the weekend after that started, to come spend a weekend in uh, Ensenada, uh, took a couple of days off, and every store in Ensenada on the, the, on the main street of Ensenada, which is a port city south of Tijuana, about 70 kilometers or so. And it's the only Mexican port uh, uh, in Baja California on the Pacific side. The other port's La Paz, and it's on the Gulf of California side. Uh, the people, at least here in, in Tijuana and Rosarita and Ensenada, had signs in their windows, uh, no violence, that they did not support the Maya Indians of Chiapas, who were protesting on January, or protesting by revolting on January 1st, 1994, by fighting 
and being against NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, that went into effect on the 1st of January, 1994. And there you have it, the real, real news. Ha. Okay. Now, the Mexican president, Lopez Obrador, has asked uh, the uh, United States to uh, do something that the United States probably doesn't want to do. And that is apologize, apologize for the fast and furious gun running scheme cooked up by the Obama administration in uh, a few years ago. President Lopez Obrador demands an apology from the U.S. for gun running by the United States government under President Barack Obama. This is big news. It's what really is, is interesting is that the mainstream news in America has hardly carried this news. It, it just happened. It was three days ago. President of Mexico issued a statement and he wanted a, a, uh, 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 he wants a formal apology. And then uh, uh, the American press didn't carry it. Now, I looked, I, when I went to Google, and what did I find? There were four Ameri mainstream news agencies that carried the story out of 32, out of 32 Google entries. One was Newsweek, one was U.S. News, and neither one of those are major publications any longer. Uh, Reuters News Agency, and then the New York Times. And that's it. They didn't find anybody else that was doing it of the mainstream press. Now, this scheme was operated by the uh, Al Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives Department of uh, the Department of Justice and uh, uh, was run by the United States Attorney in Phoenix. What they were doing is they were watching and allowing people to come into gun shops without proper ID or anything to buy guns and rifles in Phoenix by what we call straw men. And then they would take and load them up in a car or a van and run them to Mexico. They were doing this for the drug cartels. That's The drug cartels get most of their weapons from two sources. Number one, the Mexican army from deserters. Number two, from American gun shops. Now, this all came about on Friday because the United States arrested the former security chief of the Mexican Republic from 2006 to 2012. His name was Gen is Genaro Garcia Luna, and he was a security chief under President Felipe Calderon. He was arrested in December with drug charges filed against him. He was arrested in the United States of America at Mexican request. And last week, the Obama, uh, the last Obama ambassador to Mexico, Roberta Jackson, she claimed, and I saw her on a video, she claimed that leadership in the United States and Mexico were aware of Garcia Luna's involvement and his personal corruption. AMLO, that's the acronym for the President Lopez Obrador, AMLO, A-M-L-O, 
he's bringing this up because he's claiming that he's cleaning up the corruption that has existed in the Mexican government. Now, here's what the Los Angeles Times said at the time about the Fast and Furious uh, operation. Quote, a federal operation dubbed Fast and Furious allowed weapons from the U.S. to pass into the hands of suspected gun smugglers so the arms could be traced to the higher echelons of Mexican drug cartels. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, which ran the operation, has lost track of hundreds of firearms, many of which have been seen linked to crimes, including the fatal shooting of United States Border Patrol agent Brian Terry in December 2010. In 2015, two Mexicans conducted or were convicted of killing Terry, and they were given 30-year sentences in Mexican prison. A total of seven were charged. Attorney General Holder, Eric Holder, accuses critics at the time, accused critics of Fast and Furious of politicizing Fast and Furious. Attorney General Holder decried the gotcha games in testimony. Now, here's what happened. This is why I'm even bringing it up. The GOP committee, among others, uh, committees by, uh, led by Daryl Issa, congressman from San Diego County at that time, subpoenaed documents from the Department of Justice and the ATFE and any other agency that was involved, including the State Department. And they subpoenaed these documents, and uh, the administration of Barack Obama refused to turn them over. Absolutely refused. Holder just ignored them when they went after him personally. So what happened was, the Congress of the United States, Congress of the United States found the Attorney General, Eric Holder, in contempt of Congress, the first time in American history that that has happened. Now, eventually, oh, and then a federal judge ordered the administration to turn over the documents, which they finally did. We found out when we got the documents that the ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, did not notify the U.S. Embassy in Mexico about the operation. Nobody knew about it. Nobody knew about it. The White House claimed executive privilege, and a federal court said, nope. And the documents were turned over. And what we find is that Holder was a very corrupt attorney general. He was a real corrupt district attorney, or uh, uh, assistant attorney general, uh, when he was uh, elevated from the from the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington D.C. to assistant uh, to the number two guy in the Department of Justice, because it was Eric Holder who, at the very last minute of the Clinton administration in 2001, January. Like 19th, the day before he was leaving office, that Bill Clinton signed a full pardon for a crook named Mark Rich, who the United States had been chasing for 15 years. The guy was a multi-million dollar criminal. He was guilty of trading with Iran, of helping Iran when there was an embargo on it, and selling oil and buying oil from Iran and selling it on their, on their behalf and giving them the money. He was a total outright criminal. 
His wife was a very nice-looking girl, and uh, uh, there were allegations that she and President Bill Clinton had a, uh, an affair, and that that's why he, he uh, pardoned her husband. But the fact of the matter is that the pardon was prepared by Eric Holder, who claimed he didn't know anything about Mark Rich when, uh, when he, <laughs> he, he recommended a pardon. Anyway, that's Mark Holder, and you now know uh, what a corrupt guy he was, and it all starts with, with a Mark Rich. Here's a good, here's a, a, a good comment that I've been thinking about now for a little while. The American Legion post in Mexico City. Yes, there is an American Legion post in Mexico City, another one in Puerto Vallarta, another one in Lake Chapala, Guadalajara, and another one that I know of in uh, Puerto Peñasco in the state of Sonora. There was uh, at least four American Legion posts that I'm aware of. Well, the American Legion bar in Mexico City, which says in its uh, website that uh, it was founded in 1920, uh, one year after the American Legion was was uh, uh, commissioned by the Congress of the United States as a bona fide uh, veterans group. And um, the American Legion bar in uh, Ciudad Mexico, which is Mexico City, is feeding its neighbors. Now, they're closed. The bar and the restaurant are closed uh, due to the coronavirus uh, shutdown all over Mexico. And uh, but they they kept their kitchen open and they, you know, had a lot of food on hand and inventory. So they prepared meals and they gave them away to homeless people, uh, street uh, vendors and couriers, uh, just people that needed help. Well, they found out that there was a huge demand for that. So on their own nickel, they're buying food, preparing it and serving it to people around Mexico City. And I think that's a terrific terrific story and if any of you are in Mexico are going to Mexico City I would suggest you look up on the web get the website and look them up and stop by the American Legion they'll let you buy a drink and, and maybe you can uh, uh, get on their website and contribute a few bucks so they can feed some more homeless people good deal I really like that speaking of Mexico City and Mexicans have you ever wondered why Donald Trump dislikes Mexicans so much. We all know that the day he announced for president, he said that Mexico was not sending us their best, quote unquote, that Mexicans were, quote, criminals, rapists, and drug smugglers, unquote, and that Mexico had, had fostered and, and put together NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, just so it could rip off the United States Treasury. It could steal billions of dollars from the United States and, of course, millions of jobs. That was Donald Trump on the day he announced for president in 2015. Now, in 2016, what did he do? He went after the New York Times and the man who happened to own, as of right now, as best as I can determine as of today, the man who owns 14% of the New York Times newspaper, the company that owns it, that runs it, Carlos Slim, a Mexican. One of the four or five richest men in the world, at one time or another, he has been the richest man in the world. 
he owns two homes in uh, New York City. And uh, the one he uses when he stays in the city, it's worth maybe 10 times what uh, Donald Trump's uh, property is, uh, his residence in New York City. And uh, Carlos Slim is worth uh, between 50 and $60 billion. And he owns 14% of the New York Times. So what did Trump do? Well, Trump claimed in 2016 that Carlos Slim and the New York Times and the Clinton Foundation teamed up to smear him and to try to keep him from winning the 2016 election. He claims specifically that Carlos Slim directed the New York Times to smear him. Now, this really wouldn't matter, except that (laughs) the president of Mexico has joined Donald Trump in criticizing the New York Times. Yes. Just uh, uh, two days ago, he called the New York Times a famous newspaper with few ethics. The Times published an article declaring that the Mexican government is not reporting coronavirus deaths accurately. They're underreporting, is what the New York Times uh, says. AMLO, Lopez Obrador, the president, blames neoliberalism. That's what he calls conservative. A, uh, and a and middle-of-the-road newspapers. Neoliberalism and middle-of-the-road newspapers in Mexico and the U.S. for printing this lie that the Mexican government is undercounting the deaths. Well, I got news for AMLO. Mr. President, in the United States, they're undercounting the, pres- the number of deaths, too, because they haven't tracked down, they haven't uh, uh, performed autopsies on every single person that the doctors think died of coronavirus or that died of something else but may have died because of the coronavirus for something that was triggered by the coronavirus. So we're, we're undercounting, too. I don't hear even Donald Trump complaining about that. But... Uh, President Lopez Obrador, here, here's exactly what he said. Quote, There has never been a situation like this in which privileges were ended, in which the economic power is separated from political power, in which the government is not dominated by groups with vested interests, in which it was decided to put an end to corruption and impunity. Now, that's his defense. That that's what he's doing that there's no special interest running the government like like has been alleged in the past. Really, has he, has he, anybody pointed out to him that the Maya train might be a special interest? People are going to court to try to stop it. Or how about the new uh, uh, oil refinery he's building in his home state? Brand new. First thing he did, he started construction before he became president. Pemex, the Mexican national oil company, can't sell the oil it has now. I jumped in my car today and went into town to Rosarita Beach to uh, uh, do a little shopping, pick up my laundry. And sitting off the coast of Rosarita Beach, there's uh, uh, seven oil tankers. Normally there's four. Now they're there because the oil has come, has brought down from Long Beach. Uh, that Pemex buys, because we're too far from the oil production and refineries uh, uh, systems uh, and factories and and plants in Mexico. 
they're just too far away. So it's more economical to buy it in California and bring it down by tanker, and then they pump it ashore to the refinery right down there in North uh, Rosarito Beach. Seven tankers sitting off the coast today. Now, the gasoline, Pemex is selling gasoline for 14.99 pesos a liter, which is, uh, it was uh, 21 pesos a couple weeks ago. Uh, So the oil market has crashed, and Pemex can't sell the oil that it has, and uh, Chevron uh, can't store the oil that it's pumping out of the ground in Los Angeles and uh, Kern County. And so we've got a problem. That's why there's seven tankers sitting right off the, uh, right here from my beach view, you can see them. Uh, they're, they're a little ways away from here, several miles, but, but there they are, seven of them. And uh, you have to wonder, holy cow, uh, what are they doing? By the way, the, uh, the gasoline is now selling here in Mexico, as I said, for 14.99 cents, uh, uh, centavos. And that comes out to uh, two uh, for uh, 4.3 liters, which is a gallon, it comes out to uh, $2.69 American, which is what it's selling for in San Diego. Now, that's unusual because generally the gas costs more here in Baja than it does in California, in Southern California. Okay, I'm going to leave you one more thing about energy. I, I know some people find energy to be rather boring, and uh, but energy is, let me tell you something. I can go without the internet, and I can go without water, and I can go without uh, oh, lots of things, bottled water, what have you. Uh, what I can't go without is electricity here in Baja, California. And it's the same is true in California. You lose your electricity, you can't run anything. No microwave, no nothing. And in my case, you can't even light the stove, and it's not an electric stove. It's got an electric starter that clicks, starts with little sparks So, because uh, I have propane gas. So energy is really important. What we find is that the president of Mexico, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, is ignorant of his country's energy production. I hate to say that of a grown man, but the guy is so ignorant, and he hates private enterprise, hates it, calls us neoliberals. Come on. Last week, he flatly stated that private Mexican energy producers produce nothing for the country. Wrong. Federal Electricity Commission is the official government agency in charge of energy production. So another government agency. Uh, The Energy Regulatory Commission, another agency, states that private companies produce 46% of Mexico's electricity and the cost is 85% less than that of the Federal Electricity Commission production when they produce it. Joining AMLO in promulgating ignorance, the National Energy Control Center has placed a limit as to how much existing wind and solar projects can supply the national grid. The electrical grid. The center also suspended national grid trial trials for newly constructed renewable projects that will delay the startup, the actual use of 28 new wind and solar projects. 
The center says it will use oil Pemex can't sell to fire up old, outdated, inefficient Federal Electricity Commission plants to generate electricity. Two, get this, improve the reliability of the electricity system during the coronavirus crisis. A cost of generating electricity. Hmm. The cost of generating electricity at old government plants, according to the government, is $141.25 per, per megawatt hour. The same electricity commission has an agreement with private firms. They have three different agreements drawn up and signed at different times. The first one with private firms is to buy a megawatt hour for $20.57. That's 85% lower than the $141.25 it costs the Electrical Commission to produce electricity by oil in one of their old plants. Another agreement they have with private uh, uh, industry is uh, they pay $33.40 for a megawatt hour. And then another one, which is obviously either an older one or a, a, a newer one, uh, they pay private electrical generators $47.70. But the key one is $20.57 a megawatt hour. In contrast to $141.25, it costs the Electricity Commission to make a megawatt hour, uh, to generate a megawatt hour in an old plant using oil. Ladies and gentlemen, there are so many things to learn about Mexico. I'm still learning them every day. And I hope that I'm able to pass that information on to you if you're interested. Today we didn't do so much history, but we'll do some more history in the future because I think it's important that you know uh, the Mexican history. Uh, you remember last time, if you listened to, to the last uh, uh, Max, business Mexico report. I mentioned that a street Indian fair or, or uh, market that had been open for 500 years had never closed, was closed because of this coronavirus keeping people home because they're not going out. They're not buying, they're not going to the Indian market. They're not buying things. Now, I don't know about that particular one, but there was an Indian market outside of Toluca that I used to go to when when uh, my family, my, my wife and my brother and his wife, we owned a little store selling Mexican uh, uh, quality goods, and mostly crafted stuff by the Indians. I used to go down to the um, Indian market in Toluca, and I would buy several hundred dollars worth of stuff, which was a ton of stuff, and then take it back to Mexico City, pack it up and ship it uh, to the border here where we would pass it through customs brokers, and because it, most of it was original art, there were no, no duties on it. So, uh, so I'm quite familiar with the market. The one in Toluca was huge, and this one in uh, the state of Guerrero was even larger. Can you imagine? 500 years, and it had never been closed for one single day, even during the Mexican Revolution, even when Mexico was at war. So all kinds of interesting things are happening. And I trust that you'll find this program, the Contreras Report, Business Mexico, informative. I'm Raul Lowry Contreras, and I will talk to you again soon. 
Thank you for being there.